Welcome to the podcast. We're street smart, business smart, all kinds of smart people share their insights into the world of marketing, career journeys, and personal growth. So sit back and prepare to get enlightened with your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast, where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. So I like to pride myself on staying on top of industry trends, whether it be social media, marketing, and most certainly now recruiting. So for us in the recruitment space, talent acquisition, HR, there is no better source than the recruiting brain food newsletter. Like clockwork, every Sunday morning for me, he's in the UK. So Sunday morning, I wake up and sitting right in my inbox. It has become a ritual for me to dig in and start every work week with getting my fill of what's happening in our industry. I found incredible insights, inspiration, and doorways to new connections and events I would have otherwise not known existed. It's, it's awesome. And at the helm of recruiting brain food is Hung Lee, a legend in our world. Legend. <laughs> he is also the founder of Workshape.io, the revolutionary recruiting platform for software engineers. He is an industry professional with over 15 years experience as an agency recruiter, recruitment manager, internal head of talent, a trainer, strategic advisor for rapid growth businesses in the London tech startup scene. Now he's a CEO of an award-winning online recruiting platform, Workshape.io, that I mentioned before. And he's been at the forefront of developing and promoting new ways in which companies can connect to talent. He is most importantly, a huge advocate of recruiters and a champion in our world. And I'm honored to have him on. Hung, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the intro, Adam. I'm blown away by that. Um, uh, if that was actually anything that's on my bio, I probably need to shorten that a little bit. <laughs> um, I basically am working in recruitment. I mean, that's the, the bottom line. But yeah, I, 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 try, I kind of do different things and I have done different things um, in, in the industry as a, as a recruitment agent, in-house guy, as a coach, uh, launching a tech platform. Uh, and now with recruiting brain food, that's kind of become a media business now. So um, I've kind of tried to support the industry in a lot of different ways. And uh, yeah, it's, it still gives me inspiration uh, after having you know, done it for 20 years or so. That, that's awesome. So, you know, I ask, and I, and I guess it's coming from a personal side, you know, what was the impetus behind starting recruiting brain food? How did it all start? Take, take our audience there. How did, how did you build it, this newsletter and this amazing community um, really targeted to the recruitment pros? Adam, I'll tell you something, man. The, the internet got too big, bro. The internet, do, do you know what I mean? What do you, it, I, I thought the internet was infinite. It is infinite, but it, there's so much out there, so much content, year on year, exponential growth. Everyone is just throwing stuff out there. And what I realized was there was so much great inspirational content uh, that pertained to my industry, but it was difficult to find through all of the noise that everyone was seeing. So much spam, so much clickbait, so much everything, right? Um, and I just thought to myself, you know what? This is so hard to find the content. Um, I started developing my own technique to make the internet smaller, which is essentially when I found something, I just clip it, bookmark it, and keep it one place. So I had a resource uh, that I could go and revisit later. Um, and, and after doing that for a couple of months, I realized that actually, you know, maybe other people in the industry suffer the same problem. Why don't I just make my uh, sort of inventory public and get them to access it also? And I discovered maybe a best way to do that was through a curated newsletter. So I just started sending that out 
um, on on the Sunday morning. Um, and Malta, you know, some uh, no expectation he was ever going to grow. Uh, more right. a case, look, I'm doing this. You might as well see it. If you want to see it, you can do. Just piggyback on some of the work I'm doing. No point replicating it. Um, and, and yeah, it, it kind of just take, took off from there, really. And you mentioned before that the recruiting brain food has turned into a media company. Uh, tell yeah. us a little bit more about that because I see a ton of sponsorship. I see a ton of events um, that I'm sure you're monetizing on, as you should. I mean, we're recruiters. I mean, that's in our blood, right? But what, what's, yeah. what's your ultimate goal? I'd love to hear a little bit more about the media side and your ultimate goal with recruiting brain food. Yeah, you know, the ultimate goal is always vague, man. I mean, one of the things that is true, probably a strength and weakness of everything I do is I'm not massively, you know, uh, uh, committed to uh, 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 an end goal um, that's crystallized in my mind. Um, I generally know what the North Star is. Recruiting brain food is always going to be a source of inspiration um, uh, to the recruiting community. Um, that means I need to pilot kind of careful line between you know, I can never be shilling for any business. I have to be neutral all the time. Right, that's important. But, but when I do take on sponsors, I've got to clearly select who they are and make it very clear um, uh, whenever there's uh, content coming from them that that's a sponsored piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, it started uh, becoming a business when sponsors started coming to me. It didn't even occur to me. Um, uh, year one, I was doing it. It was growing. The newsletter was growing. A couple of thousand subscribers at that time. It did not even occur to me that it could be a business uh, until I started sort of receiving these inbound messages from uh, typically companies that subscribe to the newsletter as readers. Mm -hmm. And they just said, hey, listen, I want to support this. I want to I want to put my, my, my associate my brand with this. Um, and they started sending me these um, uh, 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 these offers. And I said, no, no, no. And then eventually I said, hey, listen, maybe I do need to take some of this on board and, and create space for vendors to connect with the community somehow. Um, and, and, you know, if I can uh, capture some value from it, I can then pipe it back into the, uh, the business. And, and so, so yeah, it kind of organically emerged from inbound, uh, inbound requests from the, the users themselves. That's incredible. And, and, and everyone I talk to in the New York industry, I mean, you're, you're a household name here in New York. I mean, the recruitment industry is, is tremendous here. Um, now, just to bring our viewers up to our listeners up to speed, the majority of my audience is US based. In your opinion, what, what's the what's the fundamental difference between recruiting um, in the UK and Europe versus versus the States? You know, it's a great question to ask, because I think there's so much local difference. Um, I think there's some universal things that occur that is true in all recruiting. The mechanics of it are very similar, um, but the nuances at a local level, I think, are very different. Um, and actually, you might not be aware of this, but um, I'm, I'm trying to deal with this through a crowdsource effort, right? Um, so I launched a, um, a project where I wanted to tap the subscriber base of the, the newsletter to get them to tell me how to hire country guide. Um, a survey uh, which thousands of people have received and hundreds of them have completed from right now on the top level with no no sort of data that I've crunched right. I think the, the biggest differences um, in uh, recruiting probably you can even say Europe needs to be split down you can't say it's the same thing um, uh, uh, Germany is re recruiting in there totally different from recruiting in, in, in the Netherlands also then from the UK it is, is a, a thing that's um, made a story that kind of uh, brought this to light to me yeah, sure. uh, please tell us it was a friend of mine who runs a marketing company, right? So he sends bunches, of, he sends a lot of emails. Uh, you know, his business is, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to do DM on you. Um, and he's, uh, he basically said, um, yeah, Hong, we, 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 sent, we sent these uh, uh, outbound messages to Germany and uh, uh, the messages that we received back were not from the person we sent it to. 
but actually from their legal department to say, hey, listen, you do that again and we're going to sue you. Um, <laughs> don't call email German businesses. Don't leave um, alone. Yeah, don't do it. Um, very privacy conscious. You just don't do it. You have to find an, another way to connect with them. Um, he said, listen, we send it also to the Dutch market. Yeah, the Dutch respond to us. They're very rude. They tell us to go away, but it is the person we send it to. Um, so they're not getting legal, they're invoking their legal department, but they're telling us very clearly, go away. And then they're saying, hey, in the UK, you, you take spam, man. You, you're happy to take the email. Um, and I think that's true. So I think the US is probably similar to the UK in that respect. Quite salesy quite prepared to uh, to engage. I think Americans definitely are it, it probably even more it, it sort of exaggerated in that way. Uh, what I love about American sales guys is they're prepared to tell you that, hey, I'm going to sell to you. Yep. Uh, uh, and they'll say, hey, this is the value. Do you want to do, do it? Um, so I love that direct approach. Um, one of the best salespeople, in fact, probably the best salesperson I've ever seen was an American dude that I used to work with in the UK. Um, uh, and he was just amazing um, as as a as a, a outbounder and a closer. So I think the U.S. have a very unique sales culture. People expect to be sold to. They they want it and sometimes enjoy it. Uh, whether that plays well in different territories, I I think probably you need a different. Uh, uh, you need to have that local nuance uh, to make it work. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and early in my career, I worked, uh, actually, before I went off my own, I worked for a UK-based firm, and I found that it was much more metrics-driven than the U.S. And it's just my, my take on it. The U.S., you know, being able to develop those long-term relationships that, that, that pay the dividends versus being short-term and, and transactional. And I get it. We're, we're in a sales prof prof profession and the metrics count. But I found in my experience working with the U.S. firm that they were more open and gave a little bit more leeway um, in developing uh, those long-term relationships. So you talk a little bit, um, you know, getting into the nuts and bolts of recruiting, and you mentioned the the inbound and outbound recruitment. Why why is inbound better for recruiters? Um, I'm hesitant to commit to that comment to say it's definitely better because I think you can definitely do outbound and succeed. If you do it the right um, way. Uh, the, yeah, I, I just think if you look at what's what's happening uh, just around the corner, uh, so the smart thing that recruiters are able to do is kind of look at what's going to be big what are the big trends that are happening the macro trends that are going to affect business because that affects recruiting because we're at the front edge of it right um, we're heading towards a period um where communication of all types is going to be more permission based and consent based um uh, uh, that that era of hey here's all the data it's all for free just go and hit these people with uh, email and call that era, I think, is going away. Yeah, the spray, um, the spray and pay, the spray and pray is 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 moving away. I mean, there's 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 just too much noise out there. And you know, the, the great thing about recruiting brain food for me is that it keeps me, you know, in tune and in touch with happening with the future. So, you know, you're you're at you know you're at the at the the tip of the arrow here. You know, what is what is happening? What is the future of recruitment? Is are AI and bots are they going to take over? Will 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 the machines ever completely take over recruitment? Um, no, the answer is no. Um, uh, it, this is, again, my assessment of it. I think so long as human beings are being recruited, um, it's always the, the human beings will always play the de decisive role in doing that. Um, uh, uh, there's no question that uh, artificial intelligence and automation generally will remove big chunks of the work that recruiters currently do. Um, if you think about a lot of the time spent in the activity of recruitment, dude, scheduling is... Mm -hmm of the job right those, you know, those tasks you, those tasks you could take away but it's it's that human contact right no one's ever going to want to engage with a robot talking about those true motivations when it comes to recruiting talking about you know what you truly like and dislike about your current job what your motivators are what's coming from the heart 
you know, I don't think we're ever going to get to that point where the, where, where the machines are going to be able to communicate and synthesize that emotion into a recruitment transaction. Yeah, I think at the end of the process, it's, a, it's actually a very big commitment. Um, uh, you know, you might be leaving your job. Uh, you might be changing your commute. Uh, do you need to speak right. to your partner? Of course you do. You know, all of these things are happening. Um, that's not a trivial decision to make. It's probably the biggest decision you can make uh, 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 sort of uh, after having kids, let's say, or buying a big property. Or of course. So a huge decision. Of course, that's where you're going to need to have a lot of human interaction. Um, however, um, I think at the very beginning of the process, we are starting to see some evidence that automated and automated software um, can play a role. Uh, so for instance, and this, is, this surprised me, I could ever suggest that candidates often prefer um, to interact with a non-human interface at the beginning of the process. Um, and the reason why is because actually speaking to someone is quite expensive in terms of time uh, right. and, and emotional energy, right? Mm -hmm. if, if instead of, and the reason why sort of, um, uh, uh, so if a classic example would be the FAQ section of a career's website. Uh, you go to any big employer, there'll be an FAQ section, they'll tell you about how great they are and who you need to contact and all this type of stuff, yada, yada, yada. Um, now, what we're seeing is that candidate, uh, we're seeing chatbots basically replace this FAQ. So instead of having the, candid the candidate have to find it through, a, uh, through search, you simply interrogate the bot and say, hey, listen, how much are you paying? Um, uh, are you okay to sponsor a visa? Because actually I can't work in the US without the sponsorship. This is like factual information, right? The company either does it or not. Um, there's no reason for me to have to waste time speaking to anybody for that. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of the initial conversation, I mean, I would say that out of my conversations when I talk to candidates, yes, I'm establishing the rapport. Yes, I'm establishing the relationship. You know, I'm digging into that motivations. And then there's, I would say at least, you know, off the top of my head, at least 30% of the conversation are those technical elements about the role that can be automated, so to speak. Talk what to are the showstoppers, Adam? Yeah. yeah. What are the sh everyone's got red lines, right? Where they can't do it. Say, hey, listen, you do you need me on site? That's a big red line. Right. <laughs> I, let's say I have to look. Can I work from home? Can I work remote? That that may be a clear thing. I don't need to speak to human being. And if if the company basically has a bunch of hard hard parameters, factual information about what it is that they need their workers to do, you can basically program a bot to answer those questions. Um, and it's only when I mean, how we're seeing it work is that. It's almost like a human, the bot basically doesn't replace the human, but it essentially supports a human. So it will try and, and if the questions are based on things that are objective facts, the bot will take over and do the conversation. It's when uh, the candidate then says something that the bot doesn't have an answer to, that's when it kicks to a human being who can then gets a message or a notification on their browser to say, it gets hey, escalated. Mm -hmm. the candidate said this, and then you can jump straight in and deal with it. Um, so it could be a seamless experience as far as the candidate is concerned, but for sure that will save a bunch of time um, that, you know, which is re recruiters should embrace, you know, that it's a busy job. Time, time is money. Time is money. And it's all about, I talk about it all the time. I, I have to be efficient and I have to be productive and I have to maximize, you know, every hour in the day. So Hung, what, what, what scares you in recruiting? What, what, what's a trend that you're seeing that just, you know, scares the crap out of you and, and keeps you up at night? Um, I don't think it's fear. It's more about societal change. I think that ultimately, um, we've said that uh, automation and AI won't re replace human recruiters, but it will. Um, you're talking about efficiency. Uh, what efficiency is, is basically you get more for less, um, and companies will soon be able to get a lot more for a lot less. Scary. Um, and that means we're going to see 
large sections of the population that may not be able to find work um, and may not be able to retrain, um, certainly may not be able to kind of add, uh, sort of uh, secure the economic value that they're currently getting. Good example, the legal profession, right? Lawyers make a bunch of money. Um, they're some of the most highly paid people right. in, in our economies right now, but it's right bang in the, 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 the crosshairs of automation. Um, because what, what lawyers do is li literally read and interpret text. Um, a machine can absolutely do that better. Right. With the right learning and the right AI. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's scary. Better. I don't want my wife to be out of work. She's an attorney, huh? You got to be careful there. I'm sorry. There's still the relationship that. part of it. There is that relationship part, right? But if you imagine, let's say you have, um, you know, how much time does a, an attorney, let's say, spend time building relationships and how much time do they spend time crunching through text? Then, okay, let's say the machine crunches through text, maybe half the job's gone then. Um, now, what the employer has to do at that point is think, oh, do I, then, do I basically expand and keep getting more relationship managers here? Or do I actually cut costs and say, you know what, um, th this machine is taking away 50% of the work, therefore I can deal with 50% less people uh, and still maintain my margin. Right. So I think there will be pressure that way. Um, and, you know, we've got to really, I think it's good. I don't think governments are really prepared for it. Um, I think it's incumbent on the individuals to really think about, okay, how long am I going to be in this game? How long am I working? And am I, am I well positioned five, 10, 15 years down the line? Yeah, that's, that's what's scary too. I and mean, I, I think about it a lot myself too, is what, what does the future of my business look like? I mean, I'm two years into being my own business owner. I'm, I'm building a nice business. I'm establishing relationships. I'm capitalizing um, on those relationships. But what does that look like five years down the road, 10 years down the road? And in my heart, and I, and I don't know if it's in my heart or in my head, you know, in, in my heart, I really believe that there'll always be a place for the human recruiter. Um, and I really hope that companies embrace the automation to support it, just as you said. So switching gears for a little bit, you, you are a tremendous advocate of recruiters, and, and we thank you for that on behalf of all recruiters. And what we do is hard. And, and I think that the average person, you know, either thinks that we do is easy, that we're just, you know, word matching, we're skill matching. It, it's not like that. And there's a ton of bashing on LinkedIn about recruiters. What are some of the misconceptions about recruiters from you know the, the, the client perspective and the candidate perspective that you're seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the industry is massively misunderstood. Uh, and that's primarily because how people interface with it, they only see one edge, the, the, the full thing having only seen one angle of it. Um, primary misconception, recruiters are lazy. Um, I'm sorry, the my friend. Are lazy. No, I disagree. I think recruiters work some of the hardest hours I've ever seen. Yeah. I've seen people work weekend. I work weekends, evenings. We're always on. We're always on. Exactly. And I've had to explain that to my wife when we're sitting there and I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, the candidates replying to me at nine o'clock at night because they were at work all day and this is when they're looking at their phone. So I have to be on and respond to them. Yeah. So basically the accusation that we're lazy is not an accurate description. But why do people mis make that mistake? It's because some of the manifestations of our behavior seem like lazy. Like, okay, I, we can't get back to everybody. You know, we get more emails and send more emails than everybody. So right. you can't get back to everybody. But from a person who's just sent one email, a candidate sent one email, doesn't get a reply, that feels like laziness. So again, this is where software can maybe help with that at some point. Um, because some of that workload, you know, you can, you can, you can deal with. Uh, so misconception number one is that. Um, second misconception is, uh, who does the, the recruiter work for? Um, like oftentimes, it, and I see this when candidates sometimes complain online, uh, they, they make the mistake in thinking your job is to get me a job. 
Um, and I'm saying, you know what, dude, you've actually misunderstood the mechanics of the Spot industry. On. Um, your the recruiter's job is to is to is to basically hire a person for a job, not to get you a job. Totally different sort of. It's a reverse of what you think it is. Um, and but I think that's an education play, right? Like recruiters probably could do a better job of educating the market on that, but it's very persistent, um, uh, and uh, wow. people don't quite get that. Um, and, and it's tough because you want to have that emotional connection with your candidate. You know, you you, you almost want them to think, you know. And, and it's tough too, because I am an advocate of my candidate, but to your point, ultimately, where's my bread being buttered? And that's by the client. I work for the clients. They're the ones that I am contracted, that I am supporting to fill their roles with the best possible candidates. And you know what, to the candidates, I love, I love nothing more. You know, for me, it's altruistic. I love to help people get jobs that they're happy at, that advance their careers, that put, you know, more money in their bank account. But ultimately, that's not who's paying me. And I'm not trying to be crass about it. That is just factual what it is. That is the business. Yeah, it is the business. And, it, you know, it probably takes candidates a few kind of uh, runs around the track to figure that out. But, you know, maybe at the earlier stage, we could all get together and, and, and start explaining that a little bit better. Um, because that's not obvious. You know, if you're a young kid coming out of uni or whatever it is, you've never thought about sort of finding work or whatnot. Um, I hope that's not the case. But, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there that's kind of you know, going in like really cold yeah, to it. Um, then, then you might sort of be prone to that misconception. Um, the third misconception, uh, recruiters are uh, profiteering, um, uh, you know. Um, again, uh, recruiters do make good money, no question about that, um, or can make good money. Um, but the reason why the fees are as high as they are isn't because of price gouging. Um, it's ultimately because we're trying to essentially cover um, uh, all of the, the, the work that recruiters do that is not paid for. Um, it is, it, the reason why fees are at 25, 30%, 20%, however much it is, whatever the number is, is going to be too much for the customer, right? It's too big a number for you just sending me a resume. Exactly. Um, they don't understand uh, that because typically we are pay on delivery business. Um, we recruiters do a huge amount of work that is not compensated for. Um, and you know, the analogy that one of, one of my old trainers used to tell me was, okay, you know, let's say you have two builders, uh, they're going to build you a house. Um, but you, Mr. Customer decided not to pay those builders until you've decided which house that you like, what kind, what kind of house uh, are you going to get? You're going to get a prefabricated piece of crap because the guy can't build a brilliant house for you because you haven't guaranteed any, you haven't reduced his risk. Um, so there's something fundamentally problematic with the mechanics of it. And again, I think this is an industry-wide thing. Um, and I think this is a joint responsibility from the employer side and a joint responsibility from the agency side. We okay. need to do a better job of negotiating upfront payment, yep. uh, or at least in part. We need to be stronger with that and explain to customers why this helps the service improve. I talk uh, about that all the time. I talk about that all the time with my clients. I go, let's, let's take a pause for a second about talking about street contingency. I go, here's what happens when you bring me or any other recruiter on either on a contract or a partially retained search. If you're giving some of the money up front, we have more skin in the game. We're able to distribute that cost into other expenses. Exactly what you said before. And we're more engaged to de deliver a quality product. And I think it's about changing that business model mindset. Now, what you do is, you know, th there's always going to be contingency because there's always going to be companies that want to get as many resumes as possible and they don't want to pay unless you place somebody. Okay, so here, here's another thing that um, it's not a misconception, but it, it, I, this is a criticism of the recruiting industry a sure. little bit. 
Um, uh, it, there's like no barrier to entry. Um, and and the, that is one of the big problems because it, it means that the industry is very fragmented. Um, it means that anybody can drop in and start, uh, which means that they uh, will, there's no adherence to industry standards. There's no kind of, yeah, exactly. And, and from the customer's point of view, particularly if they're episodic recruiters, right? So most employers don't consistently hire. Um, unless you're a startup that's you know, consistently doing this, uh, sort of going uh, uh, on a rocket ship or you're a mega corp. So they're not necessarily expert um, at identifying a good recruitment supplier, right. uh, you know, especially if they're in a niche. Okay, they hire a CFO once in their, the lifetime of business, they may hire that guy once. Uh, they're not going to know this, the, the, the financial agency market. Um, and therefore, they're prone to being sold to a new entrant that, you know, maybe has a flashy website or whatever it is. So we're, we're, we're a little bit responsible for, do you, for that. Do you think, do you think, and I'm just going to throw it out there, do you think just like other things like insurance, like in the U.S., insurance sales, stocks and bonds, um, mm -hmm. you know, treasury pieces, do you think that there should be a, a license to recruit? Um, I'm not some kind sure. Of test, some kind of certificate, some kind of, I mean, maybe it's not an official thing, but maybe, you know, maybe I know, I know there's certifications out there, but you know, something that just shows that like I went through a, a, some kind of governing body, whether it be the, you know, the Hungley institution for awesome recruiters.com or, you know, whatever it is, you know, where we could, we could show that we've been through the, the pro we understand the process, we understand the financials, we understand some of the legal things around asking the right way to ask for compensation in, in the States, the right way to, um, talk about sponsorship. Because there are legalities here in the states of how I could ask a candidate if they require sponsorship. In New York, they passed a law a couple of years ago where you cannot ask a candidate directly how much they're making. Now, if I'm a company hiring somebody and I know that Adam has, you know, this recruitment certificate or license, or I went through a certain training, maybe I'm more inclined to hire Adam, knowing that he will represent me. Because ultimately, we're the ambassador, we're the front line, we're the front door, we're the first communication that a candidate has with a the company. They'll be more inclined to give me their business. You know what, Adam? Uh, I'd be interested to know why there isn't a, a, a regulation on the industry because it's, it's true enough that that is it's an unregulated industry in every country I know. I don't think there is a country that um, regulates in the same way, and it's super important, as you say, because the, the, we're dealing at, with legislative stuff um, that we're not competent to deal with. We're not trained to do it. Um, we make mistakes. We potentially give a bad advice. All this type of stuff. Um, we could cross a legal line too. We could, some, some of my clients require me to carry a certain type of insurance, you know, God forbid that, that I do something that would negatively affect their business. So if I'm required to cover an insurance, shouldn't there be some kind of licensing on it? Yeah. I mean, I'd be interested to know why it hasn't happened, but my instinct tells me, yeah, I, I think we probably should put some sort of friction in there. Um, so you have to go through the hoops a little bit and maybe the, um, the market might need to absorb a higher cost uh, uh, for, for recruiting, but you know, perhaps it will improve the um, improve what we have in terms of the, the generally variable, shall we say, experience that uh, candidates, clients, and, and what have you get. Yeah, and ultimately, and just to sum up what we've been talking about here, I think it comes down to education on both sides. It comes down to educating candidates about what we do and educating clients about what our, what our true value is. So let's bring it home here um, with a couple of, of personal questions. Um, Hung, what was your biggest career failure and, and what did you learn from it? Oh, um, so first let me tell you, there's loads of them, right? Um, but the biggest one, no doubt, is probably the first company I set up. Um, so I left the agency um, in 2009. Um, and the reason why I did that was because I was 
very clear, very conscious of the technological changes that were affecting this industry and all the rest of the industries. I thought I needed to learn about that. Um, but I, I emerged from it with just a very vague idea saying, okay, maybe if I learn about the future, the technology and stuff like that, I can then parlay that into some sort of consultancy business um, and uh, you know, be, be, uh, be the guy that can educate the agency market on that. Didn't make a dime for 18 months. Um, and I, I'm telling you, man, nearly went bust. Um, yeah, I was, it was at the point where I was thinking, do I need to remortgage my house? That kind of level, right? Um, but then I thought, just stop, you're, you're making bad decisions. Um, and I just realized, oh, um, I need to figure out why people weren't buying uh, my services. Um, and then I figured it out. It's, my charging model was all wrong. I need to make it simpler for people to buy and also uh, make a bigger commitment to identify who the right cost customer was, how to qualify. And you learned from and it. Actually, let me tell you this. This is actually where the idea of being much more inbound focused actually emerged because I realized that the conversations I was getting outbound um, uh, uh, were getting me in front of people, but the conversion rate was a lot lower because I was spending time educating these people, giving them free advice almost. Um, but then when it came down to them writing a check, it wasn't happening. Um, but when I switched it and thought, you know what, I'm never going to go into a pitch again. Um, I need them to come to me. Um, and uh, the people who come, they pay. Yeah, it's, a, um, it's about so changing that dynamic. It's the inbound. It is. It's a, it, and inbound takes a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. You need to invest in, in your brand. You need to invest in the content. You need to build relationships. You need to have Spot a distribution on. channel. You need to do X, 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 Y, loads of stuff. Um, but when stuff does come in, you convert really quick. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example with the, the, the newsletter, right? Um, so I'm going to about to, probably in the next week or so, I'm probably going to start talking about sponsors for next year, 2020. Um, I think I will sell that out in about a week um, uh, because it's inbound. You know, the people, there's a queue. They're, they're knocking on the door. It's not me going to pitch them. So I think there's a method that you can totally be successful doing outbound, but I think inbound is probably a better future for me. Um, and definitely that's the way I'm, I'm committed to, to, to do that for sure. That, that's, that's awesome. And what would you say to date is your greatest accomplishment professionally? You know what? I think it is about supporting the community. Um, uh, I, you know, before when I was working in the agency game, uh, and this is one of the things, again, I would criticize the agency market a little bit, is that we're not very good at that. We're, we're very close. We're very kind of, here's you know, my, what I know. Um, I'm going to top draw this. Uh, I'm not going to, even with the people next to you, right? You're not going to share your tr tr tricks and tips because it's so competitive. Oh yeah, totally. I, don't, I keep, you know, there's a, there's a veil. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the way it is. And I, that's probably the way I would have persisted had I stayed in as an agent. But then, you know, having emerged from that, I've been able to really activate a lot of communities and stitch people together. Um, and what I've seen from that is people get jobs from that. They start companies together. They build more communities. They all start doing things. You see that the entire ecosystem gets awesome. enriched. Um, and, and why that makes me uh, uh, feel good is that I can see um, that people are, are just a little bit more enthusiastic and happier and more effective at what they're doing in this in this industry. You know, um, totally. uh, you can get to a stage where it's all grind, um, uh, you know, and, and that's horrible. I think recruitment can be one of the best jobs ever, but it can be one of the worst as well. 
Um, uh, you know, if you're burnt out and you have to keep making those calls, dude, that's a horrible, horrible place to be. Yeah, it's uh, tough. There's elements of it that are certainly grinding. So, so that leads me to, to my last two questions, Hung. And I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, you know, the first question, Hung, what, what is your superpower? I'm not asking, you know, what superpower do you want to have? I'm not saying you want to be invisible. Do you want to have super strength? But what, what is your superpower that you have right now? Um, I think I can see around the corner better than most people. Explain what that means to everybody. So basically, you don't know, you don't know what exactly is around the corner. It's, it's, it's the hidden future. Um, but I think I've got a, I'm a good trend spotter, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, and sometimes that can work against you because sometimes I'm too early with something. Um, and, and you can spend a lot of time trying to be, you know, uh, doing something where the market isn't ready for it. Um, but I've learned a little bit less on that, but I think that positions me reasonably well to, you know, uh, be secure in, 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 in the future that I see. A big part of the reason that, you know, I, I do a huge amount of this networking and a huge amount of this inbound, so I do see around the corner, five years down the line, um, there's going to be winners and losers in this permission-driven, consent-driven communication world that we're living in. Um, and you better have an audience at that point, mm-hmm. I think. You got to build that community. If you don't, yeah. If you don't, then you know your call call rate, your conversion rate, your, your the the margins, all of that will start trending down, and you don't want to be in that boat when you know it's starting to sink. No, you don't want to be at the downside of that. And and lastly, and and you know, again, I ask every candidate. I mean, every every candidate, every guest on on this show, when when you're, you know, at your best, when things are going great, when when you want to express gratitude, and when things aren't going well, when you're having a bad day, a bad week, you had a bad meeting, you lost a client. You know, what do you look to? What is, what is your North Star? You know what? Um, if you're looking about like breaking uh, out of a bad mood, um, uh, you just need to immediately go and do some exercise. Um, it sounds like it's, I mean, I'm old enough now to recognize that. Um, but I, I see moods as on a biochemical level, right? I mean, ultimately, you can boil it down to how many endorphins are rushing around at that point in time. And of course, everyone has setbacks. Of course, everyone has, um, you know, bad moments. Best thing you can do is physically change uh, uh, what you're doing right there and then. Right. Um, go for a walk, do some push-ups, go and do something physical. Um, and it will change how you feel. And that makes you much better able to then handle or make an assessment or, or make a decision uh, rather than doing it from, you know, a negative place, which is generally a bad idea. That's awesome. Hung, thank you so much. So folks, let's wrap this up here. Knowing your shit is imperative to success in any industry, trust me. And knowing where to find the most up-to-date and relevant info is gold. However, being able to take that information, synthesize it, and put it into practice is what will separate you from the competition. It's one thing to be aware, but another thing to be ahead of the curve. And that's what Hung has enabled us with, with recruiting brain food. He sees around the corner for us and he puts it out there. He's also created an amazing community of like-minded recruiters, forward-thinking pros that care about our clients, we care about our candidates, and our business, who, who all wanna do the right thing on all sides of the recruitment equation. I've taken a page from Hung's masterful curation when curating my podcast, having guests like him that just come in here and are experts on all sides of the industry to give you actionable, tangible advice. And this, is, this info isn't just for recruitment pros, but for candidates as well. It's important for you to understand the system and the field that you're playing on so you could use it to your advantage. So recruiting brain food is, is for everybody. It's not just 
you know, for recruitment pros. So whether it's knowing how an ATS system works, how to beat it, or knowing where the recruiters are going to be in your industry. So you could be at those conferences near you so you can network, take that online, offline, be there, make a difference, stand out. And this is what's going to give you that inside edge and that competitive advantage you need. Hung, this is awesome. Where, where could folks connect with you? I'm going to have all the links below, but where can people find you? Um, so I've just busted through my LinkedIn sort of limit now. Whoa, um, to, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not able to connect there anymore. Um, so I think the best thing to do is to find me on, uh, subscribe to the newsletter, uh, recruitingbrainfood.com. Um, once you've done that, you can actually email me from there. So I can, I'm happy to respond. Um, and you can also get me on Twitter at, at Hung Lee. Um, I'm happy to connect with folks on Facebook as well. I'm, I'm generally all over the social web. Awesome. I'm happy to connect in those places as well. And folks, I'm going to have all those links below when I post it. Hong, thanks for joining me. I, I greatly appreciate it, man. Your, your time is valuable. I know that. And I know that everything you talked about today is going to be a tremendous value to my tribe and your tribe as well. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Adam. It's been a blast, man. Awesome. And to everyone listening, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Please follow us on all the social media channels. Subscribe, listen, links below. Remember to network. Take your online, offline. Thanks for joining us. Take care and catch us next week for another awesome episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.